0: You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegatesegin.com. God bless you. What a wonderful privilege and honor it is to be here. Um, As I look out, I'm just kind of have a lot of mixed emotions because I have a lot of feelings standing here before you because Carol and I have such a deep, rich history here at Lifegate. Um, raising our children here, growing in the Lord here, deep friendships, mentorships happening here, um, the care and the love that we received here. We will always, always, always be grateful to the day we die for LifeGate and for the dear ones here at LifeGate. And so we come to you with grateful hearts, thanking the Lord for you. A lot of faces and people we recognize very well. There's new faces, praise God. If you're new, this is a place to grow in the Lord. It really is. People love Jesus here and want to get his good news out to everyone. So God bless you and thank you. So much for this time to be with you this morning. It's an honor and a joy. Um, I have to first off, because before I, whenever we leave uh, Uganda, our Sudanese brothers and sisters, our Ugandan brothers and sisters say, whenever you get back to Texas, they all know we're from Texas. We make that really loud and clear to them. They understand we're from Texas, not New York or some other place. God bless New York because we have supporters there too. (laughs) But we're from Texas. They say, please, please give our brothers and sisters greetings from us and tell them uh, we are grateful for their prayers and their support and their care and their love. And so you have people there from Sudan, South Sudan and Uganda praying for you as we know you're praying for us as well. So we really, really do come with hearts full of appreciation. Um, We're so grateful to be sent out by this church. Um, As I was thinking about about my text before um, coming, way back in March actually, started corresponding, Josh wrote me an email and I said, well, we want you to come and, and praise God and I think Josh asked, you know, what would be, our te- what would be your text? I'm going, hmm, I don't really know yet. I'm still praying and thinking. And he said, what about Luke 24? Remember that, Josh? And I started looking at that again. And it was a good article at Gospel Coalition. I said, man, this is, this is what I had to share from And So I'm coming with you in this message from Luke chapter 24, Verses 44 to 53. So please open your Bible, and we're going to be spending most all of our time in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and digging into that chapter. We'll bounce around a little bit, but that's where we'll be most of the time. So I would like you to stand as I read this passage, please, in honor of God's Word. And I want to pray briefly, and then we'll get right into it. So Luke chapter 24 starting at verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for, for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, specifically this morning. And we come to you pleading with you, Lord, that you would open our eyes this day. Lord God, that you would give us understanding just as you gave the disciples understanding when you first spoke these words. And so we commit ourselves into your care. Uh, I pray that you would open my lips and that you'd open the ears and the hearts of all those that are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. As I was studying Luke, this Luke passage right here, um, verse 45 was the verse that really grabbed me. You know, when you're reading the scriptures, you'd be reading, you're just going along, you're walking along, and then all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit just gets a hold of you. And so, verse 45 where he said, Jesus says, he opened their minds. He opened their minds. <laughs> open, open, open. And as I was studying this idea of open, openness throughout chapter 424, uh, one of the commentators that I was looking at brought something to my attention that I had not seen before. And thus the message of my title, The God Who Opens. And so we, we look here and and to look at chapter 24, we see how it is just completely tied together. In verse 12, we have the open tomb. Verse 29, we have an open home. In verse 31, we have open eyes. Verse 30, well, that's 31, open eyes. 32 is open scriptures. And then verse 45, open minds. And then here in our text, uh, we have God giving understanding. And we have open heavens in verse 51. So we have this whole idea of openness all the way from the beginning of chapter 24 all the way to the heavens being opened for Jesus as he ascends. And so my prayer as I was studying this scripture, was that God would give me understanding that he would open my mind and my heart and my prayer for you has been up to this moment and remains that God would give understanding and openness to you all. Um, As Jesus was speaking this to the disciples, he, he said, my command is to reach the nations. To reach the nations. Now, they had been told this before, um, but they needed understanding. They needed to be opened to this idea that he had not just come for Israel and for the Jews, but he had come for the world. And, and so he had to remind them and command them and say, you're called to go to the nations. And of course, the Jews at that time, nations was just kind of a, a term, general term for all the Gentile people. Anything, anyone outside of the Jewish nation was a Gentile, and so nations refer to everyone else. And, but we, we see as we read the scriptures, we get more clarifications on that. For instance, in Revelation 5:9, it says, They sang a new song. These were the elders. This is a picture of in heaven. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So this idea of the gospel from the beginning, we read um, in Genesis, all the way in Genesis 3.15, that there's going to be a promised deliverer coming. Uh, Abraham, he's to be a blessing to the nations. And so, as Jesus was with the disciples, he had to always remind them, for God so loved the world the world, everyone. And so that's the impetus of his message here. He said, so so we're going to be looking at how God is opening their eyes afresh to not just Israel, but for the world. And God has been bringing his word to the world. Praise his name. God is building his church. Amen? He's building it everywhere. He's building it everywhere. Um, I had the opportunity in 2009, some of you that I know since that time, I had the opportunity to go to Pakistan on a couple ministry trips. And as you know, Pakistan is strongly Islamic. God is building his church in Pakistan. He's doing it. I met with believers there. I, I worshiped with believers there. I stood with believers in a home that was burnt, and where some of the brothers and sisters had died, and they said, people are trying to get us to turn back to Islam, and they said, no, we would rather die. God is building his church there. I, I know brothers that have come from the Darfur and from the Nuba Mountains, persecuted, becoming refugees in South Sudan, and then coming to Uganda, receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and their desire is to go back to their people, and share the gospel. God is building his church. He is doing it this day and at this moment. And so I want you to be encouraged that this message that, that Jesus was giving to his disciples is being walked out, and it was being walked out by the disciples, the early disciples as well. And so our context here starts in verse 44, is that word then, then Jesus said to the disciples, and that's verse 44, but if we look at then, that refers us to what? We have to go back. <laughs> so what is he talking about there? So we have to go back to verse 36, and the disciples were talking about these things, it says, when Jesus appears to them. He appears to me. just shows right up in verse 36, and he appears to them as they were talking about these things. What were the things that they were talking about? Oh, we have to go back again, don't we? Because these two guys showed up who were walking on the road to Emmaus, and who's walking there with them? Jesus. was walking there with them? And they talked, They're discussing. And they said, "Man, our hearts burned as he opened the scriptures to us. That it was the scriptures being opened to them." And then what were they talking about on the road to Emmaus? They were talking about all the events, and Jesus says, well, And they said to Jesus, well, are you the only stranger here that doesn't, doesn't know what had just happened? And so, and then they tell about, well, we, these women came to us and said the tomb was empty, so we have to go back again, don't we? So we go back to the woman who went to the tomb, of, and they saw that Jesus was not there, and who was there? The angels were saying, He is risen. He is risen. And so they run quickly to the disciples. And what are the disciples? And two of those were the ones on the road to Emmaus. They said, this is just idle talk, and they didn't believe. Just idle talk, and they didn't believe. And so we see all of Luke 24 just tied together here. And so our passage that we're studying today, Luke uh, 24, 44 through 53, is basically Jesus repeating again. Sometimes we just don't get it. I know I don't. <laughs> I had to be hit the, with a hammer in my head like numerous times before sometimes I really can get it. Uh, and so I don't fault the disciples <laughs> because I'm just like that. I need to have things repeated to me. And so when he meets with them, he's basically repeating what he had said earlier in his ministry about his death and resurrection. Because it wasn't just in Luke 24. We can go back to Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 18, where he said, I'm going to die and be raised again. Do you remember reading that? I mean, he was saying these things before. And now he's repeating them again. Um, I just I want us to look back to what he said to the guys at the road to Emmaus, because as they were talking, it says verse 25 of 24, chapter 24, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted. To them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. And that's the theme that we see here in our passage that we're studying there. Even in the beginning, when the women are there, don't you remember what he told you? That he's going to be raised from the dead. And so, these are words that Jesus had been speaking before to them, and now he's speaking them again to them. And what does he say? He said, things written about me. That's in verse 44. They were written. Written has this idea of reliability, doesn't it? We've all played the telephone game where you tell something and it goes around and by the time it gets to the end, it's not the same thing. God in his infinite wisdom had his word written down. And so he said, these things that are written, that are reliable, and what were they written? They were written about me, about Jesus. So Jesus states to the disciples the scriptures are about him. About him. The whole meta narrative of the Bible is God's story, it's his story, not our story. We so often want to make the Bible about us, don't we? I want to make it about me. David kills Goliath. It's what I can do with my stones and kill my Goliath. Well, yes, that can be an application, but really, that story is about Jesus, who's the son of David, who slays our enemy for us, Satan, who slays death for us. The Bible is all about, from, all about Jesus from beginning to end, and that's what Jesus is doing here in our passage. Again, he's saying, these things are about me. And then in verse 14, 45, as I mentioned earlier, I I want us really to to key in on verse 45. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And let's keep in mind, when he's speaking, he's speaking to Jews that grew up knowing their Old Testament. I think it's pretty safe to say that, that they probably knew their Old Testament quite well. Um, But he had to open their minds. And so he'd been teaching them and teaching them but they still hadn't grasped it. In Luke 18, 31-34, it says, it was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. So many times I'm reading the scriptures, I'm going, mm, what is this? It's hidden from me. It's hidden. I have to have my under- God's uh, uh, gift of understanding given to me so that I can understand, and then I have to do something about it. I think it was the British preacher, D.M. Lloyd-Jones, who said, scriptural truths are not learned, they are revealed. Think about that. The truths of the Word of God are not learned, they are revealed. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't study, right? We study, right, Josh, Bob, Jack, your pastors? We study. It says, study to show yourself approved. But it's not study alone, is it, where truth is revealed? The principle of learning comes when God opens our eyes as we're studying, as we're praying, as we're hearing the word of God preached. Parents, as you're teaching your children truths, their eyes are open and they're given understanding. I remember, I'm, I can still remember back when I was in elementary school. Some of the you young people would say, oh, that's a long time for you. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And I, I don't remember which, I think it was fourth grade, where we were working on long division. I just could not get it. You know, just like writing and, and putting these, And just, but then I still remember to this day, all of a sudden, I got it. Simple, I can do it. I can do it, I can do it. And so even in non-spiritual things, truths have to be revealed. It doesn't negate study and working hard and so forth, but they have to be revealed. Um, And so I'm sure you've probably had similar situations in your own life like that. We see prayers throughout the Bible as an example. Psalm 119.34 says, Give me understanding. Why? That I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. So, Give me understanding. Paul prays, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And how is he praying? Asking that you be filled with the knowledge of him in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I kind of like the way John Flavel, he's a Puritan writer. I had to paraphrase a little bit because his sentences are really long and so forth, but I paraphrased what he said and he says something like this We believers must always study the scriptures and pray that the veil is taken off our eyes. Paul prays in Ephesians that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, of Jesus, may be given. So we as Christians and believers, no matter if we have gray hair or we're young, we. We have to continually be praying, God, reveal things to me about Jesus. I need to know more about Jesus. We never, we never know enough about Jesus. So we're just praying, I need more of you. I need to understand more about who you are. We as preachers and missionaries, uh, shepherds, those of us that are witnessing, I hope you're witnessing, that are witnessing Parents, grandparents, we have to pray when we're sharing the Word of God. Open the eyes. Give understanding. and Whenever we're hearing the Word of God preached or shall, we're in a Bible study and the Bible's being opened, we need to be praying, Lord, give me understanding. Open my eyes that I can that I can learn. What do you have for me in this? Open my eyes. And so I just want to encourage you that Needs to be our attitude always. We're praying for others, open their eyes, give understanding. We're praying for ourselves, Lord, give me understanding. Help me to understand the scriptures which are about you. We know this is especially true for the lost, do we not? Um, I love the passage in Acts chapter 16 where they are preaching by a river and a lady named Lydia is hearing. The message, and it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to do what? To pay attention to what Paul was said. I remember when I was 20 years old, those of you that are good mathematicians will know how old I am now. When I was 20 years old, which was almost 47 years ago, driving down a gravel road in outside of St. Olaf, Iowa. I'd, grow, I'd grown up in, was raised in a conservative Lutheran home where I'd heard the word of God. My parents were believers, went to Sunday school, um, and was taught the word of God, but I wasn't walking in the word of God. But I remember driving in my 1969 Dodge Charger, muscle car of muscle cars, <laughs> um, and it was a clear night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I just had to stop the vehicle on a gravel road. I stepped out. I saw the stars in heaven. I, I saw the stars in heaven. I said, I know that you are real, God. I know it. I know that you're there. I, I know. I'm using the words, no. I, still, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you died on the cross for me. And I know and I believe that you were raised from the dead for me. Here I am, Lord. Do whatever you want with me. That was 47 years ago, but it was God opening my eyes to hear all those scriptural truths that I had heard from 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 a child, from my parents and from my Sunday school teachers and the pastors I had. And it was just like opened up to me at that time. My eyes were opened. Even as believers, we, we have to be crying out to the, for God all the time for that. I don't understand, Lord, where I'm at right now. Open my eyes to what you have for me. And as we do that, God gives us understanding. And what did He give those early disciples understanding in? Verse 46 Thus it is written about Him. <laughs> We're getting it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And what was the thing that He gave them understanding? That Christ must suffer. We don't like that, but Christ must suffer. That's the cross. Jesus took upon himself the punishment of our sins whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The cross. And he gave understanding in what other way? That the third day he would rise from the dead. The resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We see this, this picture of, that he must. He opened their eyes because, remember Peter just after he makes that remarkable statement about Jesus, you're the Son of God? And he said, I must go and suffer. He said, No, don't do that. And Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. I mean, they didn't understand. They didn't understand. But here, God is opening their hearts. He's opening their minds, and he's giving them understanding. And then we see in verse verse 47, the next important phrase is a conjunction. And that. We always have to pay attention when we're reading the word of God when we see those type of phrases. And that. Okay, here comes the missionary part of me coming out, Josh. <laughs> and that repentance for forgiveness of sins. Repentance for, and some, some translations read it, repentance and the forgiveness of sins or the remission of sins. And so he's talking about his death and his resurrection. And then he goes on to add to that that there's the gospel call. The gospel call for repentance and faith that go together. Repentance is that turning away from sin. When I was on that gravel road, I said, I want to follow you. I not you know I believe in you. I'm I'm turning, I'm turning and going in a complete different direction. That's repentance, turning away and turning to, and turning to Christ in faith. And so that's what we're called to do, each and every one of us missionaries. You all, you all are called to do that. You're his disciples. You're called to do that. Uh, I think it's really helpful in Acts chapter 26. It's one of his, uh, Paul's recounting of his Damascus road experiences. And he's talking about some of the things that Jesus has said to him in Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. Paul's recounting this story uh, to his listeners, delivering you, Jesus spoke to him and said, delivering you from your people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes that they may turn, that's repentance, from darkness to light, that's faith, from the power of Satan, turning away from Satan, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There may be some here today that have not done that. I want to make that call to you. God is calling you to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ this day. That's God's call. And as believers, that's our call to preach. We preach Christ's death, his resurrection, repentance, and forgiveness of sins that is found only in him. And the the word that that Jesus uses there is this must be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. Proclaim is this word that means to speak it forth. Um, According to what I read, it's used like 32 times in the Gospels. uh, Many other times as well. And it literally means to announce the good news publicly like an old-time herald. And here as elsewhere in the Scriptures, It's a command. It's not an option. You say, well, do I proclaim or not? Yes. It's not me saying that to you. It's Jesus says, proclaim that Jesus has died, that he's resurrected repentance and forgiveness of sins. We're supposed to to speak it. That means opening our mouth. Uh, I used to always laugh when people would tell me, even here in and say, well, I saw this person uh, there and I was kind of wondering if they knew the Lord, but God just didn't really speak to me to go talk to them. Yes, he did. <laughs> we don't have to pray about some things, do we? Amen? We don't have to pray about, should I talk to this person or should I not talk to this person? Yes, you talk to them. We open, their, we open our mouths and speak to them. It's been, especially in missionary circles, St. Francis of Assisi is one of church history's well-known people, and he's misquoted. He's misquoted in this little phrase, and maybe you've heard it. It's, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. First of all, he never said that, so don't let people tell you that. Secondly, we can't do that. We always use words. We always use words. We preach the gospel. We have to speak it forth. We have to proclaim it. Yes, we do good works. We're called to do good works. Good works are the fruit of Christian life. And good works are the things that adorn the gospel, they make it beautiful. It says in, in, in Romans chapter 2 that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And so ones that are created in God's image, we do good works. If someone is suffering, we seek to help them in that. We pray for them. We try to care for them. Um, and, the, and, and the Bible says that we were created to do that before time even began. And so... We're always, as we talked about in Sunday school, trying to work that balance out always. And so God has moved our hearts to proclaim the gospel, to train and educate pastors and leaders and shepherds, Sunday school teachers, and at the same time try to come alongside of what God is doing there and help in in physical ways. Farming is one of the things that we're trying to do. Help them learn how to grow a better tomato. Help them to grow mangoes. I tell pastors that have young families that if you plant 5, 10, 15 grafted mangoes, by the time your children are our university age, those mango trees will be putting your kids through school. Mangoes grow wonderful. Oh, just taking a mango right off the tree and eating it. It oh, makes, makes me very um, jumping with joy even to think about it now. And so... We, we do those things, the, the water wells and, and different medical things that we look at. So yes, but that doesn't negate, we, we preach the gospel, we proclaim the gospel. That is our calling to do always. And it's not an either-or type thing. Titus says that we should be zealous for good works because it adorns the gospel. And so, what, are, what is Jesus saying to them now? Keep in mind, these are Jews That this message must be proclaimed to all nations. And immediately, you know, they're thinking all nations. (laughs) Even though Jesus has been saying this for God's, I I love the world. I love all people. They know it from the Old Testament scriptures. Abraham is to be a blessing to the nations. And so from the beginning, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Jesus' time, we're called to the people of God were called to be a blessing. And he says, beginning in Jerusalem. And I always like to point out, beginning, not staying. Not staying in Jerusalem. When I'm talking, I have an opportunity to talk with sheikhs and imams and Muslims. One of their first statements is says, well, Jesus was just called to the Jewish people. And they'll point out a few scriptures, you know, that Jesus was just called to the Jewish people. And I'm quick to use this verse often. He says, beginning in Jerusalem. That's the beginning point. And so we are we're called from the beginning of scriptures in Genesis to be fruitful and to multiply. Are we not? Remember in Genesis 11, we have the story of Babel. Y'all remember that? They were building that tower. And the people of Babel said, Come. Let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Then, verse 4, God goes boom. And the Lord then scattered them all over the world. God means to scatter. In Acts chapter 8, remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and all the Great Commission verses, the people were supposed to go to the nations. But still, um, in, by J- uh, Acts chapter 8, they still were hunkering down in Jerusalem. Stephen, the great mighty preacher, preaches and he's martyred. And verse 1 of chapter 8 says that there was a great persecution and the believers were scattered. Then on in verse This is the same, I'm I'm relating this to Babel, I mean scattered, the idea of being scattered. Verse 4 of chapter 8, Now those who were scattered, what did they do? Went about proclaiming, what? The word of the Lord, Jesus' death, His resurrection, repentance, and forgiveness of sin. Carol and I were talking about this as we were pondering this scripture and she said something, and I said, Carol, write this down. This is really good. So I want to quote my wife right here now, because this is really good. This is what Carol said, and then she wrote it down for me, so I could share it with you. This story has immense significance for the church. Until Jesus finally returns to finally gather his people from the ends of the earth and to dwell with them forever, He means for us to be scattering, multiplying, and spreading his fame through evangelism and discipleship and church planning until the gospel has been preached to every nation, ethnic group. And then the end will come. Until that end comes, we must not be like the fearful disciples who hid. The promised Holy Spirit has been given just as Jesus foretold. Hear what Jesus said. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's presence is a powerful witness so that Jesus Christ's commission will be fulfilled, not to make a name for ourselves as the the people of Babylonia did so many thousands of years ago, but so that we would be empowered to scatter with the the greatest good news that could ever and must ever be told so that God's command and purpose in the garden would be fleshed out. Thank you, Carol. Isn't that good? That's God's purpose, is for us to be scattered about with the good news of Jesus Christ. The Joshua Project is a, a group, a mission group, that kind of tries to calculate this idea of nations. And when we think of nations, don't think of a, a political nation like the United States. Uh, for instance, Uganda is a nation, but it actually has, um, what do we say, 54, 56 people groups, tribal groups, um, different languages. Sudan, South Sudan has 60-something. North Sudan has over 100 different language groups. And so um, there's 17,000, according to their calculations, I'd have to say plus or minus, kind of, 17,427 of these ethnic now listen to this, brothers and sisters. Of that 17,000, 7,414 remained unreached. Unreached. What we mean by that is very few to no believers. And I, I think I need to always, I always try to, when I'm talking about this, there needs to be some clarification about reached and unreached. Because every lost person needs to be reached. <laughs> Amen you have lost people here? Do they need to be reached? Yes. Now, when in mission circles, when we're talking about unreached, we have to think in a little bit different category. In mission terms, unreached means little to no access to the gospel. Little to no access to the gospel. Uh, I think of the tribe of people that are right next to us. They're like 97% Muslim. They have churches in their midst, but because of the dominance of Islam, they don't really have much access. And they don't have access to the scriptures. By God's grace, since the nine years we've been there, I think most all of the imams and sheikhs have New Testaments and Bibles now. Or our brothers that have come from Sudan. They come from Darfur and areas like that, and the Lord has saved them. And they have said to me, they've looked me in my eyes and said this to me, Jacob, we know why God has brought us as refugees here to Uganda so that we can study the word of God and be equipped so that we can go back to our brothers, our tribal brothers, which are one of those language groups that are 99 plus percent Muslim. That's what we're talking about when we say unreached. They have little to no access to the gospel. We're close to eight billion people in the world. Seven point nine billion people. The Earth. We're getting more and more people. Of that, of that eight billion, over three billion. Over three billion brothers and sisters have little to no access to the gospel. That means they don't have a brother or sister that's near them that can, like you, are near to your neighbors to go and talk to them and share the gospel. If you look at the percentage of pastors over those congregations, it's just very minute. One pastor is over like millions of people. And so our call is the call to be scattered, to go about. Um, Our call is to be obedient. And I'm not here to heap guilt on you or anything like that. I'm here to proclaim what Jesus said. He said, this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached where? All nations. All nations. And so we are called to do that. Verse 48 in chapter uh, uh, 24, he says to the disciples, you are witnesses. You are witnesses. Witnesses are called to speak forth on behalf of what Jesus has done. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a witness to what God has done in your heart and you are called to go and share that message with your neighbors and to get it out into the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 uses the word implore. We are to go out and implore others to be reconciled. And sometimes we, you know, as Reformed believers will say, implore? I mean, God is the one. No, we are called to preach the gospel. God does what he does with it, but we are to implore. I mean, even when I'm on the land cruiser, literally, I tell you, my brothers, I'll get on my my knees and say, come to Jesus. I beg you, come to Jesus where you can find forgiveness of sins, where your sins can be remitted and removed and you can come into fellowship with God. We implore people. We're called to do that here and we're called to do that in all the world. Problem is, how many thousands of years has it been since Jesus has been raised from the dead? And we have three billion plus people <laughs> that, that don't have access to the gospel? That just breaks my heart and I hope it breaks your heart as well. And I hope it... And again, I'm not trying to guilt anyone here. <laughs> Please, please understand me. I'm imploring you all to consider that when you're considering your prayer time. Think about those, those people and pray for the gospel to get to those people. Consider your pocketbooks and say, what can I do with organizations and people and support to get the gospel to these people? Yes, by all means, keep reaching your community and your neighbors. It's not an either-or thing. Let's keep in mind what Jesus said over and over to us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nat- nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, or go into all creation and preach the gospel, Mark sixteen fifteen. We have our Luke passage here. We have John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So I send you. And then Jesus continues to talk to them. He says, wait, because I am sending you the Holy Spirit who will do what? Clothe you with power, equip you, empower you to make this message known. Isn't that good news? Because if we're told to do something, I did carpenter work and I do it over there, and I'm called to go do something and I don't have the tools to do it, I just get frustrated. If I don't have a hammer, then I'm trying to find a rock and a stick to to hit something. That's not our situation, is it? The Holy Spirit has been given. The disciples were given all that is necessary to reach the nations. We have been given the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that empowered Peter and Paul. That Holy Spirit is with you. We have all that's necessary to reach the nations. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of empowerment. Amen? As well as knowledge, understanding, wisdom, counsel, love, and a sound mind. This is so encouraging. It's so encouraging because it means that we have not only been commissioned, we've been given the power to walk out that commission. Amen? That's encouraging, is it not? We do not have to be afraid. He's equipped us so that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we can have undaunted courage. Courage is not the the absence of fear. Courage is when we have that fear, but we are compelled and we're moved to keep going forward. Ask anyone who's been a soldier here. And they're going into battle. And the enemy's there. Is there fear? I'm sure everyone would say, yeah. But there's courage as well to push on to push on no matter what. Whenever I think of that, I can't help but think of where I was. I was standing right out here talking to some students when 9-11 happened. We all remember that. Most of us, I think, would do. But there was one picture, and I've shared this story numerous times in numerous places. If you heard me say it before, please forgive me, but I have to just say it again. One picture of that, of that event just has captured my mind. And in this picture, in the background, you have the towers where they're burning. We all know that picture. And you have people that are running away with soot and and dirt on their face. And and I remember one person is looking back with utter fear. They're running to get away. And then in this same picture, there are other people running to the buildings to do what? To rescue to go in there and rescue people because what did they know? They knew that there were people in those towers that needed help. That's our world, brothers and sisters. Are, are we going to be believers that are running away from people who near, need the gospel, whether it's a difficult person, if it's a person in a, that's a, a, a Muslim or a neighbor that you just Are we going to run away or are we going to run to? God's call for us is to run to those that need the gospel. And I can say here, I think with confidence, that God is calling some of you to do that as far as foreign missions. And we see in in the later part of chapter 24, what were the disciples' response to this, this commission? It says, the disciples in verse 51 There was worship and joy, and they were blessing God. The waiting part was theirs, but it's not yours. The clothing of the Spirit is here for you right now. Some of you, I believe, are being called. If you feel like God is calling you to foreign missions, talk to Josh, talk to Bob, talk to Jack. Your brothers and sisters that you, you know well, talk to them and get counsel from them and say, I really sense that God is calling me to do that. These nations need you and they will guide you and direct you. I'll be happy to talk with you too. You can come take a look, see, and and see what's happening. The laborers are few. Remember Matthew 9? The laborers are few and the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors into the harvest field. And so I come to you with that heart this morning that God would be sending some of you into that harvest field and that, that you would go. All of you, without exception, are called to pray. Amen? For world missions and for the evangelization, evangelization of these nations. All of you are called to pray. And all of you are called to give. All of you are called to give. Carol has to elbow me many times when we come back because the more we stay in Uganda, the more we're just around such need. And when we come back, I I just sometimes I I have this little angst in me and I say, oh God, there's so much. I have to remember that God is the one that will touch people's hearts. It's because of generous people like you all that we are there doing the work that we're doing. But I know as in the video, God, there is enough provision of people and funding to reach all these nations right now if the church will let loose of it and do it. So that's where I'm going to close. (laughs) Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much For the love and kindness that you have lavished upon each of us how you've opened our hearts to see your great love and what you've done for us and we thank you for granting us repentance and faith we love you we are grateful for your kindness to us and i pray this morning that we would be extravagant in our sharing of the gospel whether it be with our neighbors our family Uh, those that are lost, our brothers and sisters, that we would share the words that you're teaching us. And Lord God, I pray that from this congregation that you'd move and touch many people even to go and to increase uh, their intercession for the nation and their giving for the nations, And we will for sure give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.